All right, we're live. Uh, welcome, everybody. This is the Reality Czars podcast, and I'm your only host today, Nate. Uh, Tony's at work, unfortunately. And, man, we have the great Arya Sulin back on. I'm so stoked to talk about today's subject. We're going into Hollow Earth. And, again, this is something I know nothing about. You introduced me to Tartaria, man, and that was awesome. I loved it. And so now you're introducing me to Hollow Earth. So this is awesome. Thank you so Excellent. much, man. You bet, um, and this and, would be the first time I've covered this topic on a podcast specifically. So awesome. we'll definitely dig into it this time. Hell yeah. Uh, and so why don't you tell everybody a little bit where uh, they can find you? So this <clears> Paradigm Threat, out, correct? Right. It's going to be paradigmthreat.net. And uh, I just uh, launched a new website, kind of uh, redid everything. It looks the same. I got to redo the content. But uh, since last time I was with you, uh, my Discord was taken out. And, um, Dude, I saw that because uh, right, I joined yeah. and then it just disappeared. It gave me the warning. It told me right. you were no no. And so it, now <laughs> we avoid, yeah, we've avoided the sweeps for years. And then suddenly we got caught in something. We lost a lot of research there. So, so if, uh, um, <clears throat> decentralized chat. So if now and we're just using our local hosted chat, which is great, it's working well and people are enjoying it. So I won't lose anything ever again. But uh, check out paradigmthreat.net and definitely check out our chat. You know, come talk to us on there. And uh, that's what we'll be reviewing today. I'm going to go to the website and share that, share the Hollow Earth section. Uh, so, yeah, I want to jump right into it now. Heck yeah, man. Yeah, everyone, please go join the chat. The Discord was really cool. I only got in there for a minute before it got taken down, which was a bummer. But yeah, we kind of knew it was happening someday. We just, you know, it was that warning, and the message was kind of, you know, just, uh, you know, for violence or something like that. And it was like, well, violence, we don't, we don't have anything violent. It's stupid. Anyway. We're done with the big, big, uh, big tech. You got to move. We're going decentralized and federalized. That's where everything's headed now. Federalized meaning like everyone hosts their own server yet. It's connected to the big network. So everyone finds each other anyway, that kind of thing. Don't need centralized anymore. So uh, I like it. Decentralized. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So how worth it? I got into that a long time ago, about seven years ago. I try to share my screen here and there we go. Um, yeah, that should work. There we go. And um, I saw just all this stuff on Facebook. You know, that's how I got into it, by finding stuff on Facebook suggesting, hey, there's something wrong with Antarctica and the Arctic, or hey, the, the Earth is hollow. You know, I've never really heard this much. I will say that I've heard it from um, a few sources, like my, my grandmother. She had a book called The Hollow Earth. Obviously, it's, uh, there's a great deal of fiction related to Hollow Earth. And, um, <clears throat> but, but for anyone to actually say, hey, no, it's real. Like, hey, it's, uh, Earth really is hollow. That was, for me, it was about seven years ago. It was the first time I actually heard that. And so... Um, all right, so someday I, I got to do a show just about you and how you came into all this, man. And I want to hear, right. did, did Grandma, was she your first red pill? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was, I was amazed one day when she thought, you know, she said 9-11 might have been the, you know, stage. So I was like, whoa, my grandmother did that. That's awesome. But, yeah. Grandma's woke. <laughs> the good kind of woke. Right. So we got this other thing, right? Flat Earth. It's a whole cosmology, flat Earth, uh, flat universe. Um, <clears throat> it competes with NASA. It has a lot of publicity. Um, a lot of times when you hear about um, somebody questioning anything establishment, like, hey, you know, NASA is wasting our money or something. They're like, the automatic attack is, are you a flat earther? Yeah. So we've all heard about flat Earth. And and um, the, the um, and about seven years ago, again, like uh, I was hit by all this stuff um, uh, all at once, a bunch of people, debates, forums, and so forth, uh, suggesting that, um, you know, the earth is flat or the earth is hollow or, or whatever, or maybe that they're both mm -hmm. wrong. And um, 
<clears throat> what I came to realize is that uh, the Flat Earth One uh, group is the only one that the media will ever talk about. They never discuss Hollow Earth at all. And it was just sort of a weird, like, um, uh, overlook, but um, something that's weird to overlook, I think, by, by the media. I think they all group them together and, and give us these cosmologies so we at least be aware of them when we go out and, you know, chat and attack people because that's what they want us to do, right? Defend uh, the pro-establishment religion, so to speak. So, so I'm going to do uh, the quick, quick super yeah, disclaimer because you just yeah. offended half the audience. Everybody <laughs> oh, <I'm> here. <laughs> no, you're good, man. Uh, everybody, let's be open-minded. We all know NASA is lying. That's what we know. And so let's explore and uh, let's be open-minded. And Ari's a fucking genius. So let's go, buddy. <laughs> I appreciate it. So yeah, here, um, hollow earth or, yeah, um, theory is actually supported by the Electric Universe people. Um, <clears throat> electricuniverse.info, just go um, the website and check them out. And uh, you'll see that they have this whole theory that the universe is based on electricity and not gravity. And, and therefore, um, a hollow earth makes a lot of sense on a on an electrical level. It, you got uh, planes that are essentially uh, polarized on either pole, um, either side, like one side's positive and the next plane is negative and the next plane is positive. And therefore these planes hold each other together. I might not be explaining that correctly. These guys explain it way better than I do, <clears throat> but uh, positive and negative gives us the, um, the cosmology of an inner earth that's stable rather than you know, a bunch of rocks hitting each other or, um, or a, an orbit that you'd expect to fall out of position after a while. Instead, everything stays in position uh, each plane, uh, floating islands and all that kind of stuff state where they're supposed to be due to electromagnetism. And that basically means <clears throat> that there's constant um, layers of electromagnetism uh, gradients from positive to negative, from one side to the other side. And within those layers, a perfect medium that something can literally just sort of rock back and forth in without going anywhere. So that's the electric universe's um, definition of hollow earth. They believe, you know, there's a, definitely a sun in there because you got something powering all of this. It's got energy flowing through all the planes, you know, uh, up through the North Pole and down through the South Pole, out to other planets, back to the sun, and as a result, to, to the main sun of the solar system. And as a result of this energy moving around, um, we have gravity. Everything gets pushed together. This is true if you run electricity through a wire. Um, it, it becomes an electromagnet towards metal. And if you were to get electrocuted by a live wire, it would actually hold on to you while, while it's flowing through your body. So there is um, there's a huge strength in of in um, of attraction in um, in uh, electromagnetism, also known as plasma physics. Um, but there's also a huge strength repulsion. In fact, there seems to be more repulsion going on than attraction, where all the planets are held down by the strength of the sun's electromagnetic field. They're held in, in compression, and within that compression, um, they they push against each other. Each layer pushes against each other with the energy flowing, like I said. And so um, it's not attraction, it's not gravity, but actually a balance of attraction and repulsion. That's that's how it's explained. So anyway, hmm. that's a theory, <clears throat> and I might not be the best to explain the mechanics of it. I prefer to look at um, <clears throat> the likelihood of a cover-up. You know, uh, sure, it's been it's been completely ignored by the media. It's um, <clears throat> and they don't explain it to us very well in movies. Uh, the first movie I can remember, science fiction, that even talked about Hollow Earth since the 1950s uh, movie was um, recent King Kong movie, I think came out 2017 or 18, 19 mm -hmm. maybe. 
uh, King Kong versus Godzilla, that movie. Um, they, they both traveled to the hollow the first time. They actually depict it. Go watch that movie if you want some uh, examples of the inverse sort of mountains and, and the medium plane that I described. I mean, they, they show it all in that movie. It's really cool. And then they show a bunch of science fiction nonsense to sort of cover it up and say, this is all fiction. Don't believe in any of it. You know, that stuff always <clears throat> gets my interest. But in real literature, especially in the 19th century, you actually got all a bunch of people writing books about the hollow earth, traveling to it, describing uh, the planet, you know, as they see it. And then eventually in the early 20th century, when the first probes are sent into orbit, um, which it didn't take very long, but didn't, it wasn't public. It was a lot of rich entrepreneurs actually doing it. Um, you don't really hear about like John Astor, you know, this guy, these guys were equipped. They had their own stuff and, you know, they're probing the earth and the first ones to see, oh, wow. Yeah, it is. That it is this. And, you know, they keep it within their religion because religion has always um, had a, uh, a, a suppression over knowledge of earth history, earth mechanics, <clears throat> cosmology, origin story, you name it. Definitely anything that comes up with hollow earth, they're going to gobble it up and say, no, 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 you don't want to believe that. Uh, it's within the Vatican's interest to actually cover this up. Uh, Hollow Earth sort of thro throws a wrench into their entire belief system, if you ask me. But like I said, somebody was covering up, and and uh, yet they had the evidence of it. In the 20th century, like I said, we had probes that actually went up there and started taking pictures. We have these these photos. <clears throat> you know, mag uh, um, investigative magazines will say these are fake. Don't worry about them. But there are a lot of them. And uh, they show sort of a hole at the uh, North Pole, um, a big one. You know, nothing small at all. Like something that's yeah. that's uh, something that's clearly, um, you know, many hundreds of miles wide. Um, something that um, has an Arctic Circle for sure. It has um, ice around it in a circle, and we all know that there is an Arctic Circle of ice. We just assume that <clears throat> the inner filled part of the circle is also ice. But actually, the Arctic Circle circle represents the most northern tip of the of the um or the highest tip of the earth and the coldest with the least um sun um least heat from the sun and so forth um now there's supposed to be a sun inside the earth um at least there's supposed to be some sort of energy that energy is supposed to flow out the north and south it's supposed to create the aurora borealis um if, you, if you're familiar with that you know that there's a ton of energy coming out of the north pole that is not accounted for by modern sciences. They say it just sort of flows through the ice at some point. <clears throat> they expect there to be some uh, physical structure at that point, releasing the energy, mountains and stuff. We don't see that in establishment um, uh, establishment versions of the globe. We only see that in hollow earth versions. Let me try to find another one here. Um, yeah, here's a good one. Uh, so in a hollow earth model, the, uh, the earth is oblate. It's not really so much of a sphere of perfect circle. Um, the top and bottom are sort of flat until they bend inward into this huge hole. It's supposed to be a vortex. Um, the south side is supposed to be fatter with big ice um, and water coming out of it. And the and because it actually is the outflow, the south side is the outflow, and the north side is the inflow. They don't both flow at the same direction. <coughs> um, <coughs> so in, in this model, you can see that the, um, the, the highest points, the Arctic Circle would be the coldest places. But the closer you get into the hole, there's more heat. Um, mm -hmm. it's because the energy flowing out of that second sun is enough to warm those areas. And you start to see uh, tropics and wildlife and you name it. There is movies, of course, that depict that um, off the top. Um, 
the land that time forgot that movie you know they went to north pole it's all ice take a submarine underneath the ice and it's a jungle with mist and you know dinosaurs so um these the movies the last hundred years for example or like i've always said are just examples of predictive programming they're never going to be saying hey this is actually the truth or this book was based on truth they're always going to say this category science fiction even if it was written in a narrative or seems to be extremely realistic it was it was meant to be written that way and so forth okay so some more uh, more data i got a questions. couple random questions for you real fast uh First one is, um, do you think that, so, I mean, I think you've kind of answered that. Uh, so can you live inside of the earth? Is there, oh, yeah. is there civilizations and, or do you, are there, is that where the Nazis went? Is that, is that really true? Things like that. Well, um, see, we're looking at the possibility of it, right? Is it true? I don't know. No evidence at yeah, all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe all of the stuff about Nazis in the hollow earth is some sort of, you know, it's all above our heads or something. But if it's to be taken as truth, if we, you know, I heard to say, you know, there's no reason to just constantly disbelieve people. Um, that made various literature that spread all over the world. Um, that if we just look at what they're saying here, we actually hear, see some very interesting things that line up exactly with predictions of Hollow Earth. Um, this is all in German, but on the right side, it's a translation. Um, it basically describes how to get into Hollow Earth, how they got in. Uh, this is, says that you have to go at a certain angle, you have to go for a certain amount of time, you have to watch out for a difficult maneuver, and at some point at the bottom it says, get rid of your compass because they're not going to work anymore after this. All of it sounds really cool and interesting. And like I said, yeah. I never really thought any reason to not believe in it necessarily. I'm looking yet for that, that pro-establishment explanation why, as to yeah. how this can't be the case, but lines up a lot with you know modern emerging physics too. Ari, what are your what are your thoughts on uh, like other ultra terrestrials living inside of the Hollow Earth? Do you think that there's another race of, of maybe some form of humanoid, or I don't even know how to describe them if there is one? Or do you think that um, do you think that there are extraterrestrials, or do you think that there are ultra terrestrials, or is this an entirely different episode? It's <laughs> um, fine. In the other episode with Saturnian cosmology, I uh, yeah. came to the conclusion. And I might have mentioned that I do not believe that ETs from other solar systems influence our affairs. Not back then. And gotcha. Because we talked about Martians. Yeah. Right, but we right. didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, but um, those are humans. Far, right. Now, number two. Yeah. Unrelated to whether or not that's true. Um, <clears throat> the Earth seems to have formed in the last four to 6,000 years. Um, how fast? I don't know. But that's not enough time for there to be ancient civilizations. We're all pretty much 6,000 years old. That's bottom line. Now, the, the inner Earth has gone through the most cataclysm, not the least. And okay. every time, right. And every time that something changed with the, the orbit or something, there would be repercussions in the ground. Uh, get right. I'll just get to on that one for just one second. Cause it's so interesting. If you read Velikovsky on the, on the Exodus story, he goes into detail about the details on the old Testament about the commandments received to the Israelites. The commandments were received as giant booms with the earth shaking. And actually they noticed every commandment had a different tone or frequency. Like it would just go for, for F for five minutes and then go to B for five minutes. You know, crazy note um, harmonics. So they wrote all this stuff down. They thought, you know, Lord was speaking to them and so forth. Uh, <clears throat> this, um, this sound coming out of the earth was nothing else but the earth changing its inner um, shape. It, 
the Earth itself grew larger and smaller over time. During the Golden Age, it grew a lot larger. After it left Saturn's orbit, it got smaller. And the inside grew up to uh, grew layers, layer after layer. With each layer merging, uh, a sound would come out. Um, one Hollow Earth theory, Hollow Earth theorist that I've read describes up to seven possible layers. It's very interesting. I don't know how many layers there are. Uh, yeah, that was a letter to um, uh, another letter. Who is it from? I forget the source. But yeah, saying that Earth is hollow. I insist it's over here. We got to go on exp expedition. Anyway, let's get back to it. Uh, oh, yeah. Map. You know, just ignore the Nazi symbols. <clears throat> Whether or not that's been added later or, like, for example, Asgard. I don't know if that's really the name of that continent there because Asgard is clearly in mythology and it's described as some other places. And in Saturnian cosmology, it is on Mars. So it's not here. Someone's messing with us. And, and it, like, as soon as we get this far in our rabbit hole, you know, they, they think they, they make us think that we found it. No, we didn't find it yet. That's another trick. I used to believe that As Asgard was this place in the inner earth because maybe mm. that's what all the mythology is based on, you know, middle earth, right? Where's the middle of earth? Is that within hollow earth? But there's so many reasons why that's just not the case. It's not within hollow earth. It's within the center of a fantastic collinear configuration that's so hard for the people writing it down to even imagine. But anyway, back to the point. Um, in the hollow earth, we got these maps, um, and a lot of them are in German. The locations; those are the ones I do believe. Uh, we got you know New Schwabenland, and that's a real location um, in uh, in Antarctica. You can look it up on Google Map, but maybe. It's actually a location further down Antarctica's hole. Maybe it's actually on the south side of Hollow Earth. Uh, at any rate, um, that will be another big topic we're about to get into, and that's you know what is the deal with the Nazis anyway? You know, were they the first to discover it? How could that be? There must have been someone else. Um, <clears throat> no, I definitely don't think they discovered it, and I don't think they found any advanced races in there. They found the other explorers who were there first, who had reasons to leave their home and go to Hollow Earth and and explore and risk everything. There weren't many people back then. And then the Germans showed up and they had a big reason. They had to evacuate Germany. Um, they had to take some either 200,000 or, or million, depending on which version of that story you believe. So before we get into the war, let's see what else we got here. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff about how, you know, Hitler and the Nazis are all down there. Um, I'll get into that in this for a second. I don't actually believe Hitler ever got into Hollow Earth. I don't believe they ever left Germany. I believe the Russian side of that story where he was killed in Berlin and that they had his bones in a museum for, you know, allegedly they still do. So <laughs> allegedly that what I've heard uh, about that specifically. So there were some papers that like were released that were CIA, right. That said something about him actually making it to South America. And I don't know if that's right. true. That could be just bullshit. Exactly. But right. what I did hear uh, specifically about the bones that they had, uh, that the Russians had, as when they examined them later on, they were actually uh, bones from a woman. So I don't know if that's true or not, or it's, you know, and it all could be baloney. So I don't well, know what just, to believe it. It follows a trend that everything Russia says is a lie. That's the trend, right? Mm. <laughs> so then that, that would follow that trend. But um, yeah, let's, let's get back to, uh, you're totally right about that. And uh, I, I don't know if that's true or not, but, but here's my reason real quick before we get into the war. Sure. I don't, I don't think that they would have allowed the Westerners to believe that Hitler died there because of Berlin, because that would mean he went down with the ship. It meant that they actually believed in what they believed in. And the West has always portrayed the, um, the Nazi movement as a psychological sort of meltdown of a certain population that they, that they fell into a frenzy for 10 years and 
afterwards they snapped out of it and the Germans said, sorry, we're never going to do that again. That version of the story has been debunked many times by psychologists who basically have answered the simple question, was Hitler insane? And the answer to that question objectively is no, of course he wasn't. You look at his history and where he came from and what he was, he did everything that he was told to do. It also takes uh, a lot of um, like culpability off of him, like for being a piece of shit. You're like, no, he was crazy. You right, know, right, it's right, like, totally. yeah, <laughs> it's like, right. no, he was sane. He was just a piece of shit. Right. So they got this. Um, <laughs> they got these you know Nazi movements around the world. They're trying to sort of control, and it's better to make them believe in this fictional, you know, immortal Hitler in Hollow Earth than it is to settle on reality. And reality is that war is very ugly and it's very compromised. And there isn't one side and another side of anything. If you go down to Hollow Earth, you're going to find the deep state again. You're going to find some Germans too that were, you know, refugees of that war. But you're not going to find just one thing. You're going to find everything. That's how that's how life is. So um, the compromises made at the end of that war were not in favor of um, of negotiating peace later. They're they're actually um, in the, the interest of suppressing peace and knowledge, even knowledge of the Hollow Earth itself. Before World War II, people believed in the Hollow Earth for the most part. After World War II, people, for the most part, did not. And it was not useful for um, the establishment to allow people to believe in that because then they would start to contact those remaining Germans that were um, that the West Coalition was still at war with, even though they had entered um, the Earth. Why, why do I think that was happening in the 50s and 60s? Um, the Admiral Byrd story. Let me get away from that page real fast. Uh, Byrd, uh, Admiral Byrd was the one who chased the Nazis to South at, um, to um, Antarctica. Uh, that part is, you know, verified. Um, <clears throat> the part that isn't clear, Operation High Jump. What was going on there? In one version of Operation, in the first one, uh, it was just an operation to, to see, um, you know, if uh, the Navy can break the ice and get to the center and build a base. In the conspiracy version, popular on the internet, Admiral Byrd um, fought the Nazis. Um, and incurred many um, uh, casualties uh, right there on the uh, in Antarctica, like uh, up against the ice. They tried to get on the ice, and then things would come out and shoot at them. And when I mean things, I basically mean here's a photo I found recently of a thing in the sky, and the Navy allegedly took this shot, and it was attacking them, and it was killing people. Who knows how? It doesn't matter. Electricity is my guess, but um, mm. they knew right away. Cannot. You know, cannot fight these guys. And uh, were those? Do you? So those are man-made things. Um, or do you think I, you don't know? And do you, and do you think there's something in it that's piloting oh, uh, it? Or well, uh, definitely man-made. Sorry, I mean the ambiguous there. Um, what are, what they are? I'm saying I just straight off the bat don't know. There's some kind of defensive yeah, yeah. weapon. They're probably um, a, a drone or something. You know, I have no idea what they're. Um, but I'm saying that. What I do know is that Operation High Jump ended in this massive failure, and the technology of the Germans just proved to be too strong. It, in, okay. It's my belief that um, when technology is suppressed, um, <clears throat> it's used in warfare, but when it's released in warfare, it's not done in a way that um, people can reproduce them on their own. For example, Civil War, they had these uh, these muskets that could barely shoot, um, you know, so that the black slaves couldn't turn on their masters and so forth. In uh, World War II. You got these um, giant B-52s in the sky um, manned by children. And nobody knows who's really running them because most of them are remote controlled. Um, so let's get into the World War II because that's the 
the big question. I have this picture here. Uh, how how was World War II won? I say by child pilots, definitely. If you watch Memphis, Memphis Memphis Bell, that movie in the '90s, you'll see a clear depiction of how they used children to get these huge machines across the ocean into Germany and just drop white phosphorus all over the place. Uh, the movie With the makes kids. It very clear. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was just thinking. So, were was this like an autopilot thing, or were there kids in the cockpit? Uh, well, there's like six or so people, kids, uh, manning a flying fortress at a time. Um, you know, one's bombardier, one's the navigator. They're all um, mm-hmm. following orders. But um, if you look at these planes, um, they are mostly automated. The kids are sitting there with the controls, changing buttons here and there. This is not your World War One stunt jet. This is not something where you have to hold on to the the controls. And it's actually very similar to a modern jump, modern jumbo jet, which we all know is also fully automated. The only reason to, to not believe that these were automated is because they, there's no you know satellites back then. Okay, fine. I don't mean that kind of automation. I mean one plane controlling the rest in a fleet. Um, okay. This is very simple to do. Um, and at some point when it becomes time to bomb, one plane takes over for the entire fleet. One person presses the button, the entire fleet drops it. That again is confirmed real history. And it's also the movie Memphis Bells. Memphis Bells demonstrated how they do that. So my point is this automated warfare um, was was sort of hiding the the technique until the last minute when it was time to go to war and boom, check these planes out. And this this white napalm and white phosphorus, massive destruction. And no one expected this or saw it coming. So my question is, what was the West hiding? We also know that there were... um, that um, the, uh, let me actually go to another picture before I skip ahead there. You know that there was UFOs involved in World War II also. Oh, actually, no, that was the same page. I just didn't go. So let me go back down to I had a quick question. Yeah, go ahead. I, yeah please. I don't want to. Okay. No, no, go where, ahead. where, where uh, were these American kids or where were we, uh, where were we getting these kids that we used for that? Here's the movie. Foster kids or orphans or something. Oh no! Uh, in World War II, it was a draft, and we we just you know grabbed kids as old as fifteen, and uh, and threw them into Air Force, Navy, and infantry. And um, when it came to the Air Force, like I said, it wasn't the same Air Force as World War One. The kids did not need to know how to fly a, jet, a stunt jet at all. All they need to know was their one task on the plane. And in this movie, they demonstrate that, you know, the kids basically had just a bit of training and they're thrown on the plane, the ones that, that didn't, you know, refuse to go. Um, so, so yeah, uh, the kids. Okay. Just, so uh, we're talking uh, teenagers. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I was thinking, I'm sorry. When you said kids, I was like, fuck. Oh, I'm sorry. I should, <laughs> be, like, yeah, yeah. I should be clear, no, about, clear about that. But I mean, when it comes to warfare, you know, yeah. there was, there was kids. It's always, yeah, the young men. Yeah, yeah. There's stories absolutely. about kids really young getting into World War II and being proud of it too. Um, all right, so the, the point about um, the planes, let me just get back to that real fast, is that there's a bunch of UFOs in World War II, a bunch of, um, a bunch of uh, like, uh, sightings, sorry. Roswell is the biggest one, right? Um, that was, I get my sources on here. God, what date was Roswell? I'm going to look up real fast. Roswell date was 1947, right? Okay, so... Um, in the midst of the war, you got these UFO sightings. One crashes in, uh, you know, um, America, very public. 
But at the same time, the Nazis are uh, accused of having built their own flying saucer, flying saucers. And someone is covering them up, right? That's the whole point of Roswell. So uh, the question is, what are they covering up? It seems that they're covering up anti-gravity technology. They built these huge planes that can carry a lot of munitions and drop them all over Germany. But um, they came out of the war. No one saw these jumbo jets before World War II. Not much, really. And then suddenly they're used to win the war. It's just this crazy uh, suppression of technology trick. So then after World War II, we have these jumbo jets built all over the world. And frankly, I don't think that they're very aerodynamic. They don't seem very realistic to me at all. No, I've seen that these looks things. ridiculous. Right. I've seen these things myself. Uh, there's uh, CS1 Tucson in the, uh, in the air yard, big air yard of World War II uh, antiques. And I was just thinking, I was just standing in front of it, supposed to be able to carry tanks. Um, how can this thing possibly get off the ground? It is just too big and it's not aerodynamic. Um, and then I found this photo, like what, that one of those planes with the front blown in due to wind. Okay, yeah, it's definitely not aerodynamic. And I think that plane should have crashed long before the hull actually was could lose its, um, its uh, stability enough to break in due to just wind alone. So I think I think these photos more or less prove that there is something fishy going on here. These planes use more than just aerodynamics. They use electromagnetism. Let me grab mm. one of those photos. Uh, so what is, what is electromagnetism? Um, you basically have um, or called zero-point technology, right? Um, it uses the Earth's uh, electromagnetic field. Um, you know, the field can be measured. It's very strong. Extends way out beyond the Earth, um, you know, like hundreds of times beyond the circumference of the Earth, um, and it is rotating. The electromagnetic field of the Earth is rotating. You know, a lot of people have failed to factor that in, but when the Earth rotates, the electromagnetic field created by the Sun groups it and rotates in the counter direction. And as a result of that constant rotation of our magnetic field, um, you can find a point in it and spin a your own electromagnetic field against the direction that the Earth's field is spinning, and you will have an upward propulsion. It has to be perfect. No other uh, direction or, or angle will work. Um, and basically, all it requires is a spinning metal disk. Um, this disk is charged. It's putting off electromagnetic fields. And um, well, like I said, um, this is hypothetical. I've never actually seen these things demonstrated. But I have seen um, videos where um, people demonstrate these with, with gyroscopes. They show gyroscopes essentially have um, anti-gravity properties. If you've played with one as a kid, you know that there's something funky about them. You pull the string and then suddenly it's hard to move them in the air. It's really cool. Um, so adding electromagnetic field to a gyroscope is the secret behind electromagnetic technology and the reason why all those UFOs look circular. Now this technology has been, been invented many times, this guy, claims to have it. He has a little box that you stand on. You fly into the air. air and, uh, you know, it's like, oh, I'm sure he faked it. And that's what the uh, the official articles all say, that they just faked it. Kind of like the water engine. You know, they're all a bunch of, uh, <clears throat> you know, a bunch of... Um... So let's get back to the war here. Um, World War II, uh, about, about eight or nine years ago, I got into this uh, because I started looking at what some of those neo-Nazi pro, you know, crazies are saying, and they're so mixed in with other things that it's not really their material. It usually comes from other sources, like in Germany, actual groups. And the ones that get to here in America, usually they've gone through a lot of controlled opposition. 
And um, but I was still interested in what they're saying. Um, they're still pointing to sites that um, were real, and were, were making the case that World War II was not done, uh, was not what we were told in school. It was not like democracy versus tyranny kind of thing. It actually had a lot more to do with that um, European schism that I talked about in my last uh, podcast between East and West, and what Napoleon essentially failed to do in Russia, which is exactly why Hitler's history repeats. Napoleon's failure. Um, so interesting. Okay. They, um, so the uh, <clears throat> I don't know what to call them. The people who are anti World War II tend to be anti a lot of other things too, which um, I don't necessarily jive with. But um, whatever they are, they tend to say this was a banker war. And you know, who, you know who they blame for that. But of course, I don't say that one race was involved. When you talk about money, when you talk about bankers, you got a lot of different races involved. You got you got mm -hmm. Indians. You got a lot of Vatican's. Uh, I do tend to blame a lot of the Earth's problems on the bankers, but yeah. I don't attribute that to you know. Yeah, never attribute yeah, to one race. It's the central bank, yeah, racism. in general. Right. So the central bank wasn't necessarily just London. It was you know also in in Switzerland that those guys have their own sort of neo bank. They've been lending to all of the outsiders of the central bank for the longest time. It's just it's all about money. Um, <clears throat> Uh, nuclear bomb. Let's tell you right now. I do not believe that nuclear bombs are real. I think that nuclear it's bomb was conversation. Was, I like that. Yeah, I'm not gonna get much into it, but um, I'm not the first to say it. A lot of people have said that um, essentially um, this explosion in Nagasaki, Hiroshima, was caused by something else. Uh, probably um, phosphorus powder dropped by planes and they ignited. Um, it doesn't matter, honestly, how how it create how. It, yeah, you know, I mean, theoretically, dude. I, I, someone was telling me. Um, that there is way more deaths actually when they were napalming the cities, right? That, because they would catch uh, the whole cities on fire and it would just wipe people out. So, absolutely, that was my next point. That if you really want to talk about what happens, um, the fire bombings using, using napalm, you know, same stuff we used in Vietnam, we used in uh, Japan and Korea, and this is the worst stuff of all. This napalm gel stuff, and it, and we destroyed. Uh, something like 67 Japanese cities. It wasn't two or three. It wasn't like then Tokyo was next, as they like to tell us in history class. Those cities were all gone, fire gone. And the idea that a nuclear bomb made any difference just overlooks that so much. Um, the idea that leukemia is a thing to worry about in Japan completely overlooks the long-term damage the napalm did to the environment and therefore the kids and animal wildlife that lives on it. So... Let's get around from that. But oh, here's a here's a Nazi um, one I was trying to get to earlier. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of pictures of Nazi UFOs. It seems that they had them in World War II as well. The one in Roswell. Do you think there's a giant like a gyroscope inside of inside of that machine, and that's what's making it fly? Oh yeah, absolutely. It starts to hum mm -hmm. up, and now it becomes weightless. And once it's weightless, it's easy to sort of tip in any direction at any speed. Very easy and cool. Very easy to build. Um, very stable. It's very safe. Um, we should all be flying it now. And uh, the big uh, trick is we might actually be flying it now because I do believe that jumbo jets use this technology. There's one part of the jet. If you look at jumbo jets on the inside, um, you'll see that they have these stabilizers. They're uh, giant spinning metal disks, what they are. And um, all I'm saying is that those metal disks are also electromagnetic. And that I believe that that creates a anti-gravity field that brings the plane up. It, the people who build the plane might not realize that. And there's no way they can convince me that I'm wrong. I'm sorry, because we would have to somehow tear it apart, 
and see for ourselves. And those planes are all owned by Boeing. Every single one of them, even Airbus and all those, are all created by one company on this planet, and that's Boeing. Uh, so let's get into um, the war again, because Boeing is one of the other big factors. You can't just um, do banker war. You have to have a player in the industrial army. The, the industry was experimenting with all kinds of new technology and suppressing it. And you got this one company, Boeing, that builds the most magnificent planes of all in the early 20th century, the huge ones that fly in the upper atmosphere. Um, they build B-21s. They build B-52s. These planes are the bomber planes that, we're, that we've, we've associated with these wars. Um, the B-52s, also banned. The idea was the band was trying to make that, the term popular with kids, but B-52s were used in um, Vietnam. They destroyed a lot of territory. We, we napalmed a lot of Cambodia and, and um, Laos. So um, Boeing is the one that created all these planes. Boeing is the one that runs our entire airlines today. Boeing represents sort of an entire rulership of this planet just by themselves, just with the planes, just with the potential of suppressing that anti-gravity. There's no way to stop them. If you want to stop using planes in America, then they're going to keep running those planes all over everywhere else. I mean, you can't boycott them. It's just not, we're in trouble with the airlines. Everyone knows it. Reagan went after them famously and he got in big trouble. How much else that cost him and us. But we'll get into the politics of that. The point is you want to look for the culprit of it, of World War II, just look at Boeing. They had everything to gain and they used technology to do it. So back to World War II. What happened? Um, got some, yeah, here's some pictures I made a while back ago. I was trying to really get people to start thinking about this war differently. Now, this one on the right is a horrible painting that was made about the bombing of uh, Dresden in Germany. They said that this bombing essentially destroyed an entire city all at once, uh, killing basically half a million people. That's the Dresden story. A lot of neo-Nazis love to mention that one. Westerners actually disagree with that story completely. They say, um, yeah, sure, we did bomb that city, but we only killed maybe you know, 5,000 people. And it wasn't our fault. It was famine or something like that. It's really stupid. But then you look at this. What do you think the, the truth here. is behind that? Um, I definitely think that there was a genocide in World War II and that um, the idea of genocide is sort of wrapped up into the Holocaust. But all around the Holocaust are these other genocides. You got the Holodomor of the east mm -hmm. of, of, uh, of the USSR. When the USSR was formed, they committed a Holodomor on their own people, one and two, and they got rid of something like 66 million Christians in those two decades. They're going mm -hmm. after the Christians for some reason. Um, and later on, um, we're in the, that same region, there was a newspaper that came out and they said, the government's killing the Jews. They killed 6 million. This newspaper is found in USSR 1920s. For some reason, that number was chosen back then, and it wasn't true back then. Later on, we actually did see a genocide of Jews. I don't doubt that at all. That happens. Yeah. What we have a problem with is who to blame. You know, they say it was the Germans. Well, I really don't think that the Germans were the ones that did the Holocaust. I think the Holocaust happened. And if you look at the details of it, you basically have um, you have trains, right? People people being thrown on cal cal cars. Um, and, and driven to the east, Siberia, the Gulag, the, the big exile location where humans are dumped over the last 200 years since Napoleon's defeat. Um, the, the Siberian exile 
was so well known until people started focusing on Auschwitz. They said, well, not all the trains made it that far. Some of them stopped at Auschwitz and, uh, and Auschwitz is where they died and they were killed, exterminated there. Other people say there's really no evidence Auschwitz was the location. There's a lot. So you think that maybe so Germany is being used as a scapegoat for the real agenda or the real murder, the people that um, really did it, or yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Germany was definitely partially responsible, right? Well, that's for what I was going to get to, okay. get to um, because it matters when, because a lot of people mm -hmm. say that the genocide happened at the at the last few years of World War II, um, but actually there was a bigger genocide occurring. Um, at the very end of World War II, when the Germans were defeated, when all these napalms were being dropped on the cities, um, no doubt millions were being killed then, and no doubt that the West was covering it up. But let's just be reasonable about what that means. If a city is destroyed all at once, it doesn't mean everyone in that city is dead. It means everyone who, who, who couldn't get out. The secondary problem becomes what to do with the survivors. Um, you got you got provisioning, you got travel. There's um, probably the roads are destroyed and so forth. Um, the cattle cars are very significant in World War II because you can't just get people into cattle cars. Uh, they, it's really hard to do. You can't just put a gun to their head. They're not going to do it. There has to be a reason humans got into those cattle cars in World War II that they're not telling us about. And that reason simply was that we had a massive famine occurring throughout Europe. And it's due to the saturation bombing of the, of the Air Force, of the Coalition Air Force. Um, that is how you get into the Calcars. That's why people are, are willing to get on the train because if they don't, then they sit there on the ground and die. That there was their only option. So that's the reality of that. Again, it's being covered up by this memory of the Holocaust. Now, I'm, I'm Jewish. I was born and raised. Uh, I, I lived in Israel. I've been to Yad Vashem and the museums here in America. I've been saturated with this stuff. It wasn't until when I started researching this for myself that I started to question it. And the good news is that we don't have to throw it all out. You know, it's, something terrible happened to the Jews, and that's what I'm going to get to next. First thing to understand is, who are the Jews? What is a Jew? It's, first of all, it's such a vague question that we could argue forever and never get anywhere. So um, to, to make it simple, a Jew is anyone that believes in monotheism, the creator God, the universe, that influences human affairs, and that the Testament, the Old Testament is verbatim reality. Now, that's a lot of people. It's not just, you know, the Jews, but it's also Christians and uh, a lot of others. So the Jews that were wiped out in the Holocaust were specifically Ashkenazis. And Ashkenazi means that you come from Eastern Europe, specifically Russian area and beyond. And um, <clears throat> Ashkenazis are also the most mysterious of the Jews, whereas the Sephardi Jews, the ones that I come from, uh, know where they're from, you know, the Iberian Peninsula, um, and know their history. So it's these Ashkenazis that suffered this horrible genocide in the Eastern Europe area when the USSR came into existence. And, and the official version, not the, not the conspiracy version, but the official version, the Jews are wiped out in the beginning of the USSR and then later on in the Holocaust. So who were they? Um, the, I discovered about eight years ago that there's this whole other Jew in Eastern Europe that's like ignored and that's the Yiddish. And Yiddish is this language and it's this people. And they weren't exactly like the people we know today as the Jews. They're actually very similar in some ways and totally different in other ways. Um, the first thing is that they speak Yiddish, which is essentially German. They speak German. And for some reason, they'll tell us that Yiddish is really German and that these German Jews were like this whole other memory of what it means to be Jewish. They go back to the older empire, the one that I mentioned in the last podcast, Rus Horde Empire, the one that 
birthed all these religions in the first place. The one that um, sort of kept the Kab and um, and all the holy locations for Jews and Muslims um, before it all went down in flames in the Napoleonic Wars. And a hundred years later, after reeling from those wars, you got this scattered gypsy-like Jewish uh, Ashkenazi population that essentially is struggling to hold on to where it comes from. They experience this massive genocide by um, the Bolsheviks. And then suddenly there's something else. They're completely monotheistic now. They've given up their polytheistic history. They're willing to accept the usury by the state and their laws and just you name it. Now these new Jews are, are very pro-establishment. And, um, and so my point is the, the Holocaust in the end is gonna be a memory of the death of what Judaism used to be and the birth of all the people willing to convert. Why so many people survived the Holocaust, why so many Jews survived the Holocaust and still lived in Germany, uh, like a million of, like three million of them after the war were still there. The answer is because they converted. They got over to this new version of Judaism that emerged in World War II. It's, it's uh, monotheistic, like I said. It's, uh, it's in line with um, the, the, the uh, Catholic version of, of religion, the, the Latin version based on the Latin Bible. They, they've given up their language, which is not based on Latin. And like you name it, um, modern Hebrew, for example, is um, is supposed to be a an ancient language. But actually, it's very similar to um, Greek. Uh, and this is supposedly because the Jews were under occupation by the Greeks for two centuries, uh, in two uh, second century BC. But in reality, Greek and Hebrew are almost identical languages because Hebrew is a redaction of of uh, essentially the eclectic uh, Jewish languages of the Rus Horde Empire that, like I said, had nothing to do with Latin and they, uh, they just want to convert into something new. How do I know that? Because if you look at Hebrew, it has all kinds of modern stuff to it. There's a great deal of gender separation. That wasn't around in the past and what doesn't exist in, in the, the Rus Horde Empire languages, which were, were very simple. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. So uh, back to the war, um, the Nazis were defeated for sure. Um, and how their defeat was sort of covered up. The uh, Westerners said, oh, we didn't cause that much damage. And the um, Germans said they did. The Westerners also pushed a great deal of propaganda. If you look at you know, Captain America, for example, he's involved in World War II. They're pushing this character on kids back when these comics first came out. These movies are still popular now. I actually love the movies, they're awesome. And they still show these planes, you know, like these B-52s and so forth. And we're supposed to be like, yeah, go planes. And we're just supposed to completely ignore the subtext of you know what it means when you know they, how much damage they potentially cost, you know, by stamps and so forth. But those are bad guys, so they're not even people. It's okay when yeah. we go over there and just mass murder humans. They're not even speak, humans. They're Germans. Speaking of, so. speaking of, where does that word come from? Germination, right? Because they're sort of growing without they're outside of the bounds of the church and the establishment. They're they're germinating. So we have to call them Germany, but they don't have, they don't have any reference to the word Germany prior to the 20th century. It's completely made up by their enemies. They call word. themselves Deutschland, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. They call themselves Deutschland and someone else calls them Germany. And then some Westerners said, we've rescued the, the Germans. Dutch. We've rescued the Dutch from the Nazis. We've, we've um, liberated the Dutch. We've discovered all these new uh, groups of people in Germany. They, some of them might've been there before. They might not have been called that before. But when the Dutch were discovered, they're essentially stealing a lot of that history and identity of Deutschland. It's not that hard to imagine. It's, a, it's the spoils of war. It's the ability 
uh, things you can do when you conquer a, a, a population, you can erase their memory and you can make them believe in something new. Uh, we've been doing it for a while. Here's a list here. I got, yeah, after World War II, you know, Korea. And we, we sort of took a pause in the in the, seven, in the 70s. And no, we didn't. <laughs> we took a pause in the 80s and 90s. And then um, in the late 90s, suddenly there's this huge, like, like just bombing campaigns by Clinton. Yugoslavia was, just, was parts of it was destroyed. And then right after 9-11, which a lot of people think was a false flag to get us to continue our international wars, we invaded Afghanistan and Iraq. So <clears throat> it's not hard to imagine that that um, this war machine, like I said, Boeing specifically, this Boeing war machine has been keeping this war uh, alive and seeing it from region to region, trying to copy sort of their victories of previous regions. What's it going to take, guys? You know what we've done to the other guys. How much napalm until you guys are willing to you know, succumb? The, North, the Korean wars, for example, uh, the Koreans, North Korea lost up to 20% of their population, and they never gave up. But clearly they were willing to to you know, um, you know, lose a lot of people for it, but some of the places in Europe were were quick to give up. So, yeah, um, uh, real quick. Sorry, this is and this is slightly off topic, but uh, <laughs> that's just my ADHD brain. But like you were talking about the North no Koreans, they lost twenty percent of their population and never gave up. I was listening, and I and I've done a lot of research actually on the Japanese, and it seemed like they were weren't going to give up. And then right. they did. Do you have any? Do you have any insight on that, or any uh, theories? Well, or that's exactly it. You know, like I said before, if you think that was just three cities, and the third one, Tokyo, the threat of nuking Tokyo made the emperor give up, and that's about an emperor. If you believe that version, then you have to ignore the sixty-seven cities that were firebombed by Nepal, right? Mm. Um, so no, straight up, I don't believe that the Japanese ever surrendered. Um, they were conquered, completely conquered. And a small gotcha. group of population of Japanese that um, were controlled by um, the people who conquered them were willing to agree to this victor's version of history because that's what always happens. The victors write history and the losers agree to it. But let me let me show a different reason why this is the case with the Japanese, a completely different reason. The, the Japanese were a vassal to England and before that the Rus' Horde Empire. The Japanese were never their own country. They never had any independence. They should have declared independence in 1776, like America did, but they didn't. And they had no independence ever, not even when they're going to war against the coalition that, that England was part of. So let me tell you why that contradiction exists. Why is England, why is England at war with its own vassal state? How do I know they're a vassal state? Well, just look at the history prior to them. You'll see that they were occupied by England for hundreds of years, that the, the British brought all of the weapons there, all of the weapons that they had. And the boats too. So it was the war machine that was in charge of the war in Japan, not the people and not the emperor. Um, <clears throat> when England went to war with Japan, they did the most obvious strategy ever. They used their vassal state to ignite the whole war in the first place. They said, hey, vassal, you're going to go and attack Pearl Harbor now. you know. But the British didn't tell the Japanese to attack Pearl Harbor. You know, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, here's what really happened. The, the British allowed the, their own vassal state to, to open them up to a plan about Pearl Harbor and the West and how we're going to trigger this war. And as a result of that plan and knowledge, they actually were inviting the Japanese to attack the British Isles. 
The strategy was, of course, the obvious strategy was that if the Japanese can wipe out their threat in England, then the rest of the coalition won't attack them later, specifically America, who they're friends with and really, really hope America is never convinced to go to war against them by the British. So anyway, there is evidence in real history that the um, that the Japanese were planning an invasion of the British island and that actually their boats were caught en route by some fleet, allegedly the Americans, and destroyed. The fleet of Japanese boats sailed past Hawaii, and they're going to go south of America. They thought America was a safe place, and suddenly we turn on them and we destroy them. We turn on the Japanese before Pearl Harbor ever, before the date ever even happened. And this history, when I read it from the other side, the neo-Nazi side, made a lot of sense. It's like, yeah, not only did we wipe out the um, <clears throat> the threat, the only possible threat to, um, the ideological threat, honestly, to not allowing this war to proceed, but we actually created the pretext for Pearl Harbor. There's this fleet, this phantom fleet that definitely came from Japan all the way to Pearl Harbor, and then suddenly a bombing of Pearl Harbor. So it must have been the fleet, right? It must have been that Japanese fleet that, that went to Pearl Harbor, right? There's no other reason for them to go there, right? So everyone accepted the story as was. It didn't really make sense to some people, but the general population accepted the story. And most people said, you know, I'm not going to speak a word of this because I know they're just going to kill me. That's the war machine. They're not going to, they're not going to let anyone criticize their, their version of reality. They're just going to have died in the war. Pearl Harbor definitely staged false flag for sure. So many reasons to believe that so many people in books who say that, um, it's a really bad reason for us to join a coalition war against the Axis powers. Um, allegedly, they were in allies with Germany, so now we have to attack Germany. Nothing like that makes any sense. Um, what does make sense is that this was a propaganda trick. Um, the only way to get us into World War II was to say that somebody close to us, Japan, that old vassal state and part of the Rus Horde Empire, is, is, has attacked itself. Uh, right in the heart, right in the heart of that location. This will separate the East from the West. This will awake the sleeping giant. This will do all kinds of things. It was just good strategy. And um, it, it definitely worked. Um, it got America into the war. And we basically built all of those planes that then went and destroyed Europe. So let's skip ahead to the end of the war. Um, after Japan was destroyed, I'm um, no, sorry, after Germany was destroyed, um, they definitely evacuated. And from what I've read of, uh, of this evacuation, let's see what we got here. Um, they, they got people, they got like 500,000 people out of, uh, of the Berlin area as the East and West forces of the United States and, um, and Russia were basically about to take Berlin. Um, they, they used big submarines. They had these huge submarines that they had built in very short time, um, capable of taking you know, hundreds of people, thousands of people, and they evacuated somewhere. Um, it makes sense to me that they would go to Hollow Earth, to places that they knew about, and that there would be enough room for them to, you know, start, start over with a, you know, a, a population. Um, then the question is, what happens next? We know that um, Operation High Jump failed. We know that um, we, we got signals from Hollow Earth, but it was never really confirmed. Um, and so what, what, where does this lead now? Um, the, the closest ties we still have to this old history is Russia. And from what I've read, Russia uh, in the 20th century, they had um, they had essentially 
ties to the Hollow Earth. They had ships that they're sending there every year. They knew how to get there and stuff. And, um, well, I won't get into that because I don't really have any uh, evidence of that here. That's just something I read a long time ago, and I wish I had that copy again. Um, let's see. Let's go to the bombings again real fast. So essentially, yeah, the Germans escaped Germany. They went somewhere. They went to Hollow Earth. Um, and the, the West had this had to cover it up. They had no choice of, uh, you know, saying that they went there. Otherwise, it would call into question the nature of the war. It's like, why did we do that? And weren't the Germans our allies? Weren't they popular with America this whole time? So, you know. Um, yeah, that's a funny thing that people don't talk about. I mean, especially like, dude, especially like in the 20s, like um, the KKK was a huge thing. Like there was a lot of white nationalism, like in the United States. Um, and so like the Nazis were a pretty easy sell for most Americans at that point, especially like in the thirties and stuff like that. Like that wasn't an unpopular position. Like uh, they were actually pretty popular with, uh, with a lot of Americans, right. right Before uh, world yeah. war two. Oh yeah. Um, and so it was Japanese, you know, we had no reason to go to war with these, these countries. We had done a lot of trade and we had a lot of families, uh, you know, California, they had a lot of, uh, intermarriage. Um, you know, one of my favorite movies, me and my wife love karate kid. Uh, Mr. Miyagi, you know, that one scene, he explains that his wife was taken to an internment camp in, in California while he was out, you know, killing the Jerry Germans. He was doing what, what they wanted him yeah. to do. And his wife dies because no uh, doctors are willing to go into the internment camps, you know, save those Japs. Why would I go in there? Blah, blah, blah. And, and so it was just you know, this horrible sudden moment when, when that, that marriage was ripped apart. And no place was it felt worse than Hawaii. The Hawaiians were, you know, they saw the, the writing on the wall, you know, they were, they were about to uh, be told that this country that did not own Hawaii at the time was, which had a base on Hawaii was going to use it as a staging ground to destroy these other islands in the Pacific. And they they yeah. lose all at once, all at once. And the Hawaiians of course had a huge problem with it, but guess what? They were never interned, not in Hawaii because they, uh, they, they formed the function of that location to such a degree that they could not put anyone in jail or the, they would actually start to risk the war operation itself. So like I said, the Hawaiians felt it the worst. And by the time they came out of this, their identity was erased. It was all King Kamehameha mm -hmm. and dancing for the tourists and you name it. You know, the Hawaiians represent a very defeated culture. Yeah. I would love to, yeah, do some history on Hawaii. They really did have a fucking bad rap, man. Yep. Cool. Let's see what else we talk about. Any other topics related to Hollow Earth that you could think of? Interesting. Okay, so well, there's one thing you were talking about in the movie. They depicted dinosaurs. Are dinosaurs yeah. real? Uh, what do you think, are, Gary? Yeah. Okay. I definitely believe that the ones known as sauropods are real, and it makes sense. And live in swamps and stuff, you know, Loch Ness monster. But, gotcha. Um, okay. T Rex, for example, T Rex is so absurd. There's so many reasons to believe he, he's not around. First of all, he was discovered first. The first dinosaurs to be discovered, incomplete. To not even know what the rest of bio looked like, but they just guessed and they said they write later uh the t-rex is named king rex means king just like with the thing on jesus's cross uh, rex means uh the king of you know the dinosaurs why did they think that this thing was going to be the king of the dinosaurs and it turned out that they were wrong the t-rex as depicted later was said could not have been possibly a predator it was more of a scavenger because he's just too weak with those arms it'd just be knocked over all the time it's not a realistic dinosaur you go on yeah. all day about it 
and he doesn't even yeah how would something like that even exist having these little tiny little stubby arms and the like and then uh, honestly just like the mass their mass and how heavy they are how do they i don't know i mean i just i call a lot of the whole dinosaur right. stuff into question it's it's interesting and we should know why they did it it's a smithsonian cover-up those guys and the giants. the giants of america that's it so that's why dinosaurs are believed in that's why they push so heavily that's why i have so much propaganda about them interesting all right what do you think so we might have even talked about this before uh but the giants did to me that's the most fascinating thing in the world were they human yes i do believe so yeah okay and do you take any uh do you think what do you think uh as far as like interdimensional beings like do you think that there are angels do you think that there were nephilim do you think that there were hybrid humans with angels and things like that do you do you take any of that into um, I believe that every source has a real reference point in the past um, and might have been changed in the present into, you know, we think a metaphor is real or real is a metaphor and vice versa. But let yeah. me tell you what I, I believe in the ether. The ether was heavily believed in up until the 20th century. Like I said, World War II saw the death of so many belief systems, not just polytheism, but, um, you know, health sciences like um, acupuncture and stuff didn't come back for decades. Um, but also the ether. Uh, it's referenced in many science journals, um, scientists trying to believe, or sorry, it's trying to prove that it's there. What is ether? It's the um, invisible force that penetrates everything, right? Like the force of Star Wars, that kind of thing. What's its properties, though? It's it's part of the electromagnetic field of the Earth, but also part of the electromagnetic field of the sun in our solar system, and possibly of that of the galaxy slash universe. Um, these fields are large in scale, then small in scale, they're, they're different fields all around us. And within these fields, you have an unlimited abundance of energy. Energy is actually the most raw form of information. It's the analog signal. It's, uh, I don't know if I covered uh, emeralds and storing knowledge in emeralds. That's a lost technology. Um, it's going to come back, though. It's called quantum computers. It's going to come back soon. And the idea of quantum is that you're storing an analog signal that is immediately reproducible all, anywhere on the planet, it's a, it's a quantum connection. And so this quantum connection is ever present. It has all of the properties that we associate with um, angels, heaven, and visions, and all that kind of stuff. It, it sort of falls into this bucket of electromagnetism that uh, we receive um, in our bodies. Um, comes, you know, through north pulls our head, right? And south pulls our feet. Uh, the energy of the earth is constantly flowing through us and hooking us up with the knowledge that it has stored in its ether. What does it have stored there? Well, that's where you basically go when you die. If you, um, if you, have a, if you believe in reincarnation, and I certainly do, and so many other indigenous religions believe they, they have a lot of evidence of it. For example, Tibetan uh, Book of the Dead and the, the Three Bardos. Go read that for reference point. Um, three cycles of rebirth that all life forms go through. Yeah, why why they believe that so much? They say that many of their um, testimonies are actual people who remembered their their past lives and the transitions in between them. So I don't have any reason to doubt these people. I think they're they're telling honest truth and they have a whole belief system based on it. They uh, believe that reincarnation happens rather quickly, uh, within a matter of months. When you die, your your energy of your soul, whatever you want to call it, which is just a figment of the electromagnetic field in the beginning simply returns completely to that field and leaves completely your body. Um, 
and at that point, when it's disconnected to such a degree, it becomes um, capable of being reborn. It even becomes capable of choosing when and where it becomes born. Uh, one reason, like I said, read the read the Bardo book. It's amazing. It has all these details. Um, one, one thing about like how uh, souls choose their own parents is in there. It's a uh, it's um the reason is because when you're in the ether, when you're in dead form, you're completely free of anything that you could possibly consider pain or misery or even bad memories. All that stuff is not there. And um, <clears throat> a, a free spirit, if it enters carnation, it basically has to feel all that horrible stuff again. And it doesn't want to just go right back into that. It wants to um, find the path of least resistance, the least pain. The, the third bardo is described as a period when the soul is, um, is being haunted by its previous memories of its past life. And it's being tricked into being reincarnated again. If it fails that last test and it keeps running, it's going to run Is that right like the into... Gnostic, how they describe this being a prison planet that you get caught up and then you're just going oh, yeah. back into this? Oh, yeah. yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> Absolutely. So I've gone all day about it. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, the Gnostics believe that too, right? That's in Europe. Um, but there's the thing you're not so trapped uh, on Earth. You got the field here. And if you can attain a certain level of enlightenment, uh, according to the, the Book of the Dead, Tibetan book, um, you can escape the cycle entirely. You can then travel to another planet. Why? Because oh, our yeah. field connects to other planets, doesn't it? Our, our field uh, connects to the sun. The sun's connected to every other sun. Um, that is the nature of being a spiritual being, is being able to travel through pure energy instantly anywhere in the universe, just like they say. Um, I've talked to starseeds who insist this is true. Uh, for a long time, I believe starseeds are crazy. You know, they're on the internet. They're like, I'm a starseed. I have traveled from other places. I can do... Uh, telepathy and stuff. Um, after hearing so many of their testimonies, I, I stopped doubting them. It sounds like a lot of these people have these abilities and that they remember traveling from other planets and that actually, um, and I don't mean planets here in the solar system, I mean other solar systems, and that that is the only way to travel, actually. There is no other way. You can only travel as spiritual energy. Mm. You can't You can't take a spaceship because there's no magnetic path. You, you can't go um, through the sun. Um, some people say you can tra transport through the sun, but I've thought about it. I don't think you can. I think we're sort of trapped here physically in the solar system, but spiritually we're not trapped anywhere. And that's sort of a nice rule set, I think, to go by. Here's a little picture of the uh, electromagnetic field around the Earth depicted. They say it must have an inner field too. The Earth has an inner field and an inner sun. That tells you that more or less the Earth is like a living body. You know, it has all the properties of memory and intelligence. It just operates at a much grander scale than humans do. We can't necessarily talk to it. We, we sound like the tiniest little T, and it would sound like the deepest boom. So our scales keep us apart, and therefore keep us apart from anything bigger than that, like suns or you know, the galaxy itself. So we can't talk to planets. We're just too small, if you, if you follow me. Hmm. I had uh, another question for you. So right now, there are some Germans living in the, in the hollow Earth near uh antarctica or the north pole right? um, with it. Um, that's antarctica. the entrance on the south and north pole there are entrances the nazis okay. went to the south and that's they went to the south went, okay yes it is antarctica okay gotcha and what do you think their life is like do you think like we don't know too much about it right do they have like are they living like a modern uh, 
you know, I mean, they had some defensive defenses and they had some, it looked like they had some pretty awesome weapons. Like, do you think that they have an entirely different type of like, do you think, are they online? Do they, do they have the internet or do they like, you know, or do they, I'm, I'm curious, man. I'm going to go to my Mars page real fast because I have this one picture I just want to show you. Sorry, I stole yeah. some stuff. Um, Absolutely, brother. And because I, I was talking to this guy who sent me this message, I just want to show you the message. Things are still loading. Um, while it's loading, I will say, no, I don't think that they had a... Um, oh, here we go. Um, this guy says he's part of the SSP. He served in the SSP on Mars. That's the secret space program. A lot of people believe in a secret space program, you know, suppressed technology again. And this guy just randomly sent me this message after I posted my pictures on Telegram. He says he has he has been to Mars. It's beautiful. It's not like they say, you know, like a desert. It's actually cold. It's not hot at all. It says that there's multiple German bases there, but he's never visited. That just told me a lot right there. Um, I asked him some questions after this, but he never got back to me. Um, I erased his name because then I realized, wow, you know, I might be getting people in trouble. So you got to be careful. Um, and yeah. This was really sent to me and I've never been able to verify it or anything. But I go off of this stuff. Uh, this path has, has led so many clues like this. And the clues are nothing more than hypothetical solutions. If he says that there are multiple German bases on Mars, but he's never visited them, that means they can't. It means that there's still separation there. Probably has something to do with how World War II ended and resulted in this huge Cold War lasting literally till today. And because of this Cold War, we um, are still, we have not made peace with all of the people that we need to make peace with from World War II over 70 years ago, that we've been waiting that long just to do this. So what I mean by that, I mean the Germans, they went everywhere that anyone could go. Uh, if you read John Astor books, they're supposedly fictions. John Astor said he traveled to other planets inside Jupiter, inside the sun, and that there are locations in there that you can live on, like little planets inside Jupiter, moons on the inside that are habitable and have trees and wildlife and stuff. They actually depicted in the game Half-Life as Zen inside of Jupiter. I um, love very, that game. That yeah, was such a game. fun game when I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's all based on something. You know, It's not just some guy's imagination. Some people yeah. have been there. And like I said, John Astor claims to have been there in his fiction. So, so back to the point, um, after World War II ended, the Germans didn't just go to hollow earth. They went everywhere they could go. They went even mm. to, um, you know, Mexico. It was like a lot of, a lot of them went to Mexico because they found a lot of, uh, of, of sanctity uh, there because Mexico had declared independence since 1910 and had already been under attack by the deep state. So it just also Brazil. A lot of Germans went there and it's just assumed that, you know, Hitler must've gone there too. Um, just the fact that they pushed that theory on us so much and Simpsons and stuff uh, yeah. that really makes me sort of like, okay, wow. They really don't want us to believe Hitler made it to um, South America. Just like they want us to really believe that Napoleon died on a, on a Island in isolation mm -hmm. surrounded by, by boats. You know, these stories are hard to swallow, honestly. And they, they sort of ruin the way that we could be thinking about these wars as unresolved. They make it all about one guy. And one guy winds up all by himself in, in, you know, isolation. That's how they like it. That's true. Yeah. Instead of like the movement behind it, they always try to paint one scapegoat. It was, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. That that's fascinating. I hadn't even really thought about that. Um, and I, more evidence that I 
Hitler probably died in Germany was that I, I've done some research on uh, specifically his doctor that was giving him cocktails and drugs. And yeah. like Hitler was already dying. Hitler was in bad shape by all the crazy amounts of drugs he was doing. So like, it's that. pretty nutty to think that like he lived till 80 in Argentina. Like yeah. I think he was on his last leg anyways. Like, Absolutely. Um, yeah. He, um, here's what they want us to believe. They want us to believe that he's like, Oh, it's time for me to go. I, this didn't work out the way I thought, you know, I'm out of here, but that's not what happens. A captain goes down with the ship, right? The captain feels responsible for causing every shipwreck. Um, that if, uh, okay. Yeah. We already covered that point. If, um, if Hitler would have left to hollow earth, then he would have ruined any chances of, uh, of, what he was trying to build happening in the future, simply a Republic, a real Republic. That's what the Europeans always wanted. And if, if it's all about him, then we ignore that. Um, one other thing I want to say, um, I forgot. Oh, don't worry about it. Um, let's, let's move on from Hitler because like I said, I don't want it to be all about him. Yeah. Really Touchy about, subject. Uh, nature's war. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had the, a buddy. The, the programming. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I have a friend, uh, Brandon Thomas from Expanding Reality. He wanted me to run a question by you because he had just, Please. I guess this is a new theory that yes, the earth is hollow, but we're already inside. We're inside of the hollow earth. Oh uh, yeah. Is that a crazy concept or is there, have you heard it, anything about that? Is that a. Yeah, I have a con concave theory or a convex theory, I think. Hmm. Um, it's the idea he just that, told um, me to ask you about it. So, right. Uh, yeah, it's another alternate cosmology and a possibility, right? That one mm -hmm. ignores what's outside of the Earth, you know, what was the rest of the universe, and uh, also ignores the motions of the sun, just like Flat Earth does. What um, makes me curious? These... I'm like, what? what's the crust like? What's outside? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, geez, it sounds cool, but um, no, I don't believe that at all. Okay. Uh, so yeah, the, the predictive programming sort of has been teasing us with this and they usually do this when they want us to believe it's fiction so we've seen actually a lot of video games and and stuff about nazis specifically in the center of the earth have so you seen that movie that somebody no i have it not looks, actually it looks kind of entertaining but it might be terrible <laughs> yeah, this is the only this is the only cover i could find with the uh flying saucer on it every other cover on the whole internet has like the saucer erased it's weird like they accidentally mm. didn't or didn't want it to show like shooting or i don't know what the hell is going on there yeah Oh, sweet cover here. Oh, yeah, the map of the planet. Um, a lot of people think that the way that NASA slash the establishment have given us globes over hundreds of years uh, just doesn't add up. In fact, you can find uh, people don't agree on what size continents are, period, because they could never find a way to pull the globe correctly around um, around an actual sphere without stretching them. That's always been the claim. Um, I'm sorry, to pull it into a flat two-dimensional plane without stretching them. The problem here is not um, some. It's not a map problem. The problem is a political one only. The problem has always been diminishing what we don't want uh, people to think about and, and uh, exaggerating things that we want to seem sort of hopeless, like uh, the size of Siberia, which seems totally exaggerated, way too big, and the size of Africa, which is always regarded as, as way too small. Um, so... Yes, the, the Earth might, as we know it, might just be sort of stitched together um, from the maps that they wanted, you know, in the first place, and that they might not have had many pictures of the Earth from space this whole time to the point that they had to constantly 
re-image existing photos to uh, to look more modern with modern colors and highlights. Um, th this, uh, let me see if I can find any of those examples here. So do you think that we have uh, an idea of really what our continents look like? Or do you think it, do you think that it's probably very different? Um, yeah, it's probably very different. Uh, the Pacific Ocean, for example, um, might be way bigger than they say it is. Um, it, it might be um, like how they used to say that China is on the other side of America. It's more than like on the other side of England. And that, that myth could have started back then. But for some reason in the 20th century, after World War II, they started telling people even in California that China was on the other side of America because the Pacific was so big. But it does seem to me that the Pacific Ocean should be a lot smaller. It's, it's, it's exaggerated in size. Um, the hmm. northern regions, um, anything north like um, like uh, like Greenland, for example, is extremely stretched out. I thought I had a map here that, that shows this. I just can't find my stuff right now. It showed it showed um, map of Greenland sort of as it really look. Oh well, as organized as I thought it'd be. Anyway, fascinating, man. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't think it's a real world map, and it's definitely a political map. Um, if uh, if they were to start getting to real maps, like I said in the last podcast, they would start to to show that um, the maps have changed over time. That there's some areas of the Earth that just don't make any sense. Um, and and yeah, it's, like I said, um, at that point they would have to start answering questions as to how World War II actually ended and what was the, um, you know, who was responsible for it. And that would as inevitably lead to a revolution that would take out the deep state. So I honestly just believe all of this was just a cover-up as they had to do as necessary. It wasn't something they wanted to do. It's not a big strategy or anything like that, like a genius strategy or anything. It's just they covered up every last thing uh, about that war that ended up being threatening to their continued rule of Earth, essentially. Interesting, man. Ari, that was awesome, man. Is okay. there uh, is there anything we didn't cover? No, I think we got it all. I just thought I had more photos to show, but um, if you visit, if you guys visit my website, I'm sure I'll find those missing photos and put them on there. Just more maps and stuff, more you know, um, more hypotheticals on you know what the Hollow Earth is, how it might function, that kind of stuff, and what literature existed that that you know defined it in the past. Ari. Every time you come on, it's awesome, man. We have a great time. Thank you so much, dude. You're a wealth of knowledge. I'm sure there's like 20 other topics we could have crazy conversations about, man. So oh, yeah. uh, thank you so much, man. So uh, that's Paradigm Threat. And Done you it. have a new uh, – you've got the new chat there. So everybody needs to go yes. out and do the chat there. And, brother, we appreciate you. We thank you so much. I'm going to hit the outro. And uh, is there anything other that you want to – say or give anybody a shout out. Nope, that's it. Really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, brother. All right.